in the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, while Herod was ruler over Galilee, while his brother Philip was ruler over the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, while Lysanias was ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. John went out into the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and high place shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight. The rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The gospel of the Lord. Some of you know this because you have been part of them. When I lead discussions on race relations and racism and diversity, I often suggest that participants, in order to get familiar with a perspective different from their own, that they be more deliberate about reading, listening to, even just following on social media, people, personalities, voices different from their own. For me, <clears throat> straight, white, middle-aged, middle-aged, middle-class, <laughs> man in the United States, it has meant that I do simple things like follow people of color on social media and read black authors like Ibram X. Kendi and Colson Whitehead and Isabel Wilkerson. If you have not read her book, Cast, I couldn't recommend it more highly. It's why I learned, too, so much from female theologians like Rachel Held Evans and Nadia Boltzweber and colleagues of mine who are women, too. It's why I am as entertained as I am informed and inspired by the music of gay and lesbian artists like Indigo Girls and Brandy Carlisle. And it's why I am so blessed and so much better for the perspective I gain about poverty and wealth from my friends in Haiti. Thinking about all that with today's gospel on the brain made me think about John the Baptist this time around a little bit differently. For a long time, I believed all those names listed in this chunk of Luke's gospel were nothing more than date stamps or historical markers or ways to establish the time in place that all of this took place, all of this being the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, I mean. And it is all of that to some degree. It's interesting and it's telling, especially for people who know and like history, to know that all of this happened when Tiberius and Pontius Pilate and Lysanias and Philip and all the rest were doing their thing in the world. All of which happened sometime in the late 20s or 30s of the first century, which smarter people than me will be glad to tell you. I was never great with dates and timelines. So it's even more interesting to me to understand now that Luke's gospel is up to something much more meaningful than just recording history. 
by time-stamping his gospel with the names of political and religious leaders, emperors, governors, high priests, and whatnot. Luke was also pointing out that God's word and God's ways were not always proclaimed to or by the likes of the people in high places. Instead, the word of God came to and came through the likes of this camel fur wearing, honey and locust eating, crying out in the wilderness, down by the river, baptizing, repentance and confession and forgiving, preaching, Jesus freak. Named not Tiberius, not Lysanius, not Pontius Pilate, not Herod, John. Just John. No offense. Do we have a John here? And he wasn't from anywhere that mattered or that you could find on a map like Judea or Galilee or Bethlehem or Ituria or Trachonitis or Abilene either. He was out in the wilderness, down by the river somewhere, if you could find him. It might go something like this today. In the first year of the presidency of Joseph R. Biden, when Eric Holcomb was governor of Indiana and Joe Hogsett was mayor of Indianapolis during the papacy of Francis and the bishopry of Bill Guffian and Elizabeth Eaton, the word of God came to Steve or Stacy or Jamal or Jezula over the river and through the woods on the other side of the tracks or under the bridge or maybe down at the BAR with the BUMs as my wife's favorite aunt used to say. Because what John was saying was the same thing the prophet Isaiah proclaimed. That God would show up first for those who needed God most. That Jesus would be a welcome guest for those who were suffering and struggling and sick or in need and that Jesus would be a fly in the ointment a thorn in the side, a pain in the behind for those in power, for those in high places, for those with titles before and with letters after their names. Which is to say, those in low places will be lifted up. Those in high places might be knocked down a peg or two. Those doing wrong will be righted. Those who are rich will be made poor. Those who are poor will have enough for a change in any other way you can think to promise that the status quo would, could, and should be upset for the benefit of those who rarely benefit from the status quo. And all that is why we do so much of what we do as God's people in the church, especially during these holiday days. It's why we give gifts to foster kids. It's why we pack Thanksgiving dinners for our food pantry families. It's why we send a little something extra to our Agape Alliance friends and give so generously to those cute Grace Quest kids who asked for our money to buy animals through the ELCA Good Gifts program last month. We were amazingly generous for that Mission Sunday effort, by the way. 
Every bit of that is good and gracious and holy. Don't get me wrong, but let's not break our arms patting ourselves on the back about it. Because I think the reason John named, and I believe the reason Jesus challenged the likes of emperors and governors and rulers and religious leaders of all shapes and sizes, is because the kind of confession and repentance John called for, the kind of challenge and change that Jesus championed, was meant to be deeper and wider and systemic and more structural in such a way that it would last longer than the holiday season and have impacts so far-reaching, so culture-shifting, so world-rocking that heaven and nature might just sing about it. Every valley shall be filled, remember. The mountains and the high places shall be made low, the crooked made straight, the rough ways made smooth after all. And you realize none of this prepare the way of the Lord stuff, make his paths straight, has anything to do with landscaping or road work or the new roundabout on Gem Road and 300 here in New Palestine, great as it is. John is talking about repairing and restoring and reinventing the broken social, cultural, political, religious systems of this world. He's talking about God's desire to create a level playing field of justice and mercy. A level playing field of peace and prosperity, of healing and hope that would, that could, that should be available to all of God's children. Especially the ones relegated to the valleys. Especially for those who get screwed by the crookedness of corruption and injustice especially for those who can't ever seem to get over the rough road of their station in this life. Like, what if, among other things, we could smooth out the rough, rocky roads over in the Holy Land by having great compassion for our Jewish brothers and sisters there, but without also condoning or ignoring the plight of their Palestinian neighbors, too. What if, among other things, the glass ceiling of sexism in this country could be brought down so that women don't make just 82 cents for every dollar that a man makes for the same work? What if the crooked ways of systemic racism could be hammered flat finally so that, among other things, people of color aren't incarcerated for longer sentences for the exact same crimes as white people? What if the low places of homophobia could be filled up 
so that among other things, gay and lesbian people don't have to call me before showing up here for worship the first time just to make sure they'll be safe and feel welcomed if they gather the courage to do that. God knows. It's so often the emperors and the governors, the rulers and the religious leaders, the people of power and the people with privilege who rest easy in the status quo and who resist change for the sake of others because of it. It's why God's word comes to the likes of John, just John, down by the river, and sends people like him to cry out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, to make paths straight. Tupac Shakur. Did you ever think you'd hear that from Pastor Mark in the sermon? Black rapper from my generation, from whom I have plenty to learn, a voice in the wilderness of his day and age, if you will, wrote something that made me think about all this. He said, if I had an ear to confide in, I would cry among my treasured friends. But who do you know that stops that long to help another carry on? The world moves fast. And it would rather pass you by than to stop and see what makes you cry. So let's stop long enough to listen, you and I. Let's hear the cry of John's voice and others like it these Advent days for a change. Voices different from our own. Voices different from the powers that be. Voices that tell of struggle and suffering and oppression and a life's experience that many of us can't fathom or fully grasp. And let's respond to God's invitation to confess, to repent, and to do something. To change what's broken in this world until all flesh, all flesh, will see, receive, and experience the salvation that comes from God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.